Well, it is good for us to be able to celebrate Easter together here in the West Auditorium for those worshiping in the East Auditorium as well as those online. Uh, we, it is good for us to be together on this Easter morning. But one of the things we recognize that is we don't get to Easter without the story of Good Friday. And so throughout the weekend, we've actually been celebrating, you could say, the full story of the most important events, arguably, in the history of the world, in God sending his one and only son, and what that has to do with us. And so it's gonna be a little bit different Easter service, maybe in that we are gonna make sure that we, we address the full story. Good Friday, as we start the service, with maybe a little bit different feeling than you're used to starting on an Easter morning, but of course, getting to the resurrection of Jesus, the new life in him that we get to experience as well. And so we look forward to celebrating here together. can't imagine what it's been like these past few days. Have you ever felt like the color has just been sucked out of your life? I've been walking around in a fog and I, I can't seem to make sense of anything. I had plans for my life and dreams. They seemed within reach, but I... Do you believe in God? I do, I, I always have. Believing that there is a creator behind this magnificent universe just makes sense to me. Naturally, I believe the scriptures when they told of the Messiah, the one who would come and save. I thought I was following a savior, the savior. Now it's all gone dark and gray and I'm sitting here rambling on because he's gone. He's gone, he's dead. And it was awful, tragic. The, the, the most gruesome thing you can imagine. And I saw it all. The beatings, I saw him carrying the cross. I watched as they lifted him up and slowly all the blood and the color drained from his body. Hallelujah, what a Savior. 
his name was Jesus. The Roman soldiers arrested him and led him into the praetorium and called together an entire company of soldiers to deal with him. They put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they shouted, Hail, King of Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head. They spit on him. Falling on their knees, they mocked him as if worshiping him. Then they led him out to crucify him. From noon until three in the afternoon, literal darkness covered the land. About that time, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. It is finished. Well, none of this was a quick process. I was caught off guard as I realized this was the end. His final words, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Guilty the land, helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. For us only can it be. who were hoping in vain, I don't know. King of the Jews, of course, said in hatred. Savior. That's what I was hoping for. Hear the word of the Lord. 
from the Gospel of Matthew. Hear the story of Jesus on trial before Pilate, Pilate being the Roman ruler of ancient Israel, in just the last few moments before Jesus was taken away to begin the execution process. Jesus stood before the governor, he stood before Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you've said so. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Well, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked, to which the crowd responded, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? They shouted all the louder. Crucify him. And Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was in place. What did he do? He took some water, and he washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man. I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's now your responsibility. And all the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. And with that, Pilate had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Good morning. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I welcome you here to our worship service today. If you're a guest with us, we're very glad you're with us, whether here in the West Auditorium, if you're joining with us on the, in the East Auditorium, or perhaps online. I was just in the East area, and there's lots of people here this morning, and I'm glad you're here. For me, this is an unusual setting, because um, as far as we know, based on our church's plans, with some leadership changes coming in the next year or so, uh, this is probably the last time that I'll be pre preaching Easter here, preaching Easter at all, for that matter. Next year, I'll have the honor of sitting where you sit or somewhere like it and hearing Pastor Brian teach and preach on Easter of next year. So in light of that, I sort of, um, knowing this event was coming for the last few months and that this is my last hurrah, if you will, um, it's a bit, I've made a trip down his, uh, my own historical lane and I, I, I did some looking around and through some of my notes and realized that I have preached, apart from one sabbatical when I was gone on Easter, I've preached every Easter since 1984. That's a long time. 27 of those years were with you and the other people of this congregation. And like you, I don't remember one Easter sermon. <laughs> they sort of all run together after a while, you know, and you just go, okay, that we, did Easter, we did Easter in 1984, we did it in 94, we did it in 2004, we did it in 2014, and they're all there. And I, so I, I must tell you, I, don't, I wouldn't expect you to remember them any more than I do. But there is one, not an Easter morning, but a Good Friday service that's sort of stuck in my brain. And so I went actually looking back through my notes to find it. I thought it was just three or four years ago. It was actually in 2013. It was a memorable moment, at least for me, if not for you. And if you weren't around then, and if you were, um, I'd like to just, for, on the first part of my message here, just remind you of something that we learned together in 2013. And um, it goes this way. See, I suspect that you've heard the story of Matthew 27 sometime in the past. You know, Jesus before Pilate. Maybe you know the details. If you don't, can I bring you up to speed? Jesus was an itinerant preacher traveling around um, Israel 2,000 years ago. Some would have called him a rabbi, being Jewish. And he had some 
popular crowds that would follow him, and they liked what he did. He, was, um, he would do miracles. He'd have these wise sayings and great teachings. Now, the religious leaders, they weren't so taken with him at all. This is during the Roman period when the Romans were in charge, the Roman Empire. The empire was in full swing and steam, and Pontius Pilate in, is sent from Rome to Jerusalem, to Israel, and you're to be Rome's representative in all of the nation there, and you're to kind of make certain that we keep the, put the thumbs on those people down there in Israel. And so just days before this scene that we read, Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem to great fanfare. The people had this expectation, this anticipation. He's going to develop into this great political figure who's going to overthrow the Roman regime. But Jesus chose to forego their agenda. The leading religious figures had branded him a heretic because he claimed to be the Son of God. And as the Son of God, that was a capital crime. That was something that um, you could be sentenced to death for. And if he was found guilty, he would be executed. According to the scripture we just read, Pilate said, hey, I don't agree with you religious types assessment. Um, I don't think he's guilty, but nonetheless, I'm going to let your, this mob, I'm going to let the mob's plans move forward. And um, he could have saved Jesus, but otherwise, he said, you guys do with him as you wish. There's one element in the story that has caught my attention. This is where, where I take us, if, you, if I may, back to 2013. I want you to listen for it again in Matthew's record of the story. We read that while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. She says, now, honey, I don't like to mess in your affairs. I mean, you're, you're, you're the governor, I'm not. Sweetheart, um, I, I, I've really had some bad dreams about what's taking place here, and, and I've suffered a great deal in these dreams. He's an innocent man. I find these statements from Pilate's wife quite fascinating because if you think about how we're learning about this, Jesus is before Pilate, Pilate's wife. Mrs. Pilate says, I don't think you should do this. And Jesus gets executed. He's buried and he rises again. And years later, there's this guy by the name of Matthew, who is one of Jesus' disciples. He comes along and he says, I want to write down everything that I remember about Jesus' life. And he goes and he interviews some people. And um, years later then, what we're reading is penned. It's a biography of Jesus' life. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. And... Apparently, Mrs. Pilate, he tells us, didn't agree with the verdict. She was fearful. Don't get involved in this matter, sweetheart. This man is innocent. And this tr dream that she'd had had obviously created some sort of story because here's Matthew years later saying her reticence, her struggle, it's worth noting that she wasn't in agreement in some ironic way and saying, hey, honey, you should probably stay away from this. This is not going to turn out well. That ironic statement is both startling and tragic in its prediction. Because here it is, when we think of Pilate now, knowing the, the outcome of the story, we don't view him in a good light, do we? 2,000 years later, for 2,000 years now, Pilate's name has been synonymous with a lack of courage. His, he, he may have done a lot of really cool things when he was in, in Jerusalem. He may have done everything that the, that the Roman Empire wanted him to do, but none of that is really known. What do we know about Pilate? We know that he failed to stand for what is right, for what is proper. 
he failed to uphold justice. As a matter of fact, we have this saying that he put in place. When he washed his hands symbolically saying, I'm washing my hands of this man's blood, it's a tragic statement to realize that 20 centuries later, when we say we want to be done with something, I'm washing my hands of this. His mark on history is that euphemistic saying, I'm out of here. I'm washing my hands of this. His mark on history is a story of cowardice. Pilate's wife is significantly different. She recognized something. I don't know if she became a Christ follower. We don't know that. But she recognized something of some truth and substance in Jesus Christ. You know, this story of Pilate's wife is only mentioned once in Scripture. Here in the, in the passage we read here from Matthew. And it's fascinated me always. It must have fascinated other people as well because this painting that you can see right now is from Antony Cesare's uh, painting of 1871, 150 years old, in which it's entitled, his painting is entitled Behold the Man. It depicts the scene we've just read from Matthew. Pilate is pointing to the crowd, to the mob. Here's your guy. You've asked for him. Here he is. Here's the rest of the painting you haven't seen yet. Because what I find particularly interesting is where Cesare positions his viewers. We don't see the face of Jesus. We don't see the faces of, face of Pilate. We don't see the faces of the crowd. You can kind of make out of a few places here or there of the, a little bit of Jesus. Whose figure do you see the most? Whose face do you see very clearly? You see a tall, elegantly dressed Roman matron, Pilate's wife. Her left hand is placed, so it looks to me like in resignation, on the shoulder of her maid. And her back is turned from Pilate, or more literally, perhaps he has turned his back on her. He's turned his back on righteous advice. He's turned his back on a God-directed message that would have prevented him from being castigated throughout history with the coward label. The painting haunts me. It haunts me as a leader. It haunts me as a Christian. It haunts me as a person. How am I reacting to the mobs around me? Are the mobs winning the day? How are you doing with the mobs? The mob called for Jesus' execution while the leaders simply gave in to their evil demands. That messes with me. Calls for some self-examination on my part. Paul the Apostle says that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have some regular examination of yourself. So, you know, this because of COVID and we needed to get so many people in and we, you know that we went and we said we're going to do in one service, Good Friday and Easter Resurrection. And so Good Friday for us always involves communion or maybe from a tradition that maybe calls it the Eucharist or uh, the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper. And uh, if you're online, could you get something to eat or drink? If you're in the East or West Auditorium, you've probably got a COVID-safe uh, plastic thing as you came in. We're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And we're doing this because Jesus, it says, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body given for you. Eat in remembrance of me. He took the cup. Drink this in remembrance of me. And um, remember Jesus' sacrificial death is what we're supposed to do if we're followers of Jesus. Paul the Apostle, 
A few years later, after the event, comes along and says this, so in light of all that Jesus did, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in, un in an unworthy manner, it's like you are sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. It's like you're part of the mob. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without thinking about the body of Jesus, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. Pilate. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you're invited to eat and drink with us, whether in the, in the building or at home. But I would ask you to do it in light of what we've heard and experienced, asking these sort of self-examination questions. Could I be in the unseen crowd calling for Jesus' death? Perhaps am I in the unseen face of Pilate, claiming no responsibility whatsoever for the, no guilt. That's not up to me, it was, it was I gave it to all of them. Or could it be that you're the face of Pilate's wife recognizing that a guiltless man died who was in fact the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'd invite you to review those sorts of questions throughout the next few moments. The worship team is going to lead us in an old, well-known hymn that speaks of this issue. And I invite you, while they sing, at your leisure, to eat and to drink in remembrance of Jesus. Pastor Brian is coming pray for us as we step into our time together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this weekend, we recognize that there is no Resurrection Sunday without the sacrifice and the death of a Good Friday. And so as Pastor Wayne has, has led us, we do not get to just hear the story uh, in an hour together and then just leave non-respondent, that, that it demands a response, the reality that you so loved us, the world, that you sent your one and only son. And so may we, as Jesus instructed his, uh, his original disciples, as we seek to follow him wherever we're at in that journey. Maybe, maybe we are newer to all of this and uh, we're, we're um, needing to examine our response to the truth that Father, you sent your one and only son for the forgiveness of all of our sin and the gift of a new life. Uh, maybe on the other extreme, there's those of us in the room or online who have uh, kind of done this a bunch of times, maybe more or less born into it and we risk uh, just kind of growing numb to it and, and and just blazing or glazing past the most important reality of history and our lives. And so may we not uh, miss you in the midst of those possibilities and do exactly as your son Jesus said, that as we eat this bread, we would remember your son's body given for us. And that as we drink of this cup, we would remember your son's blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins that's led to the gift of a new life. And as Jesus said, may we do this in remembrance of him. Amen.
for the work of Jesus in our lives. Um, 
God, grateful for the reminders of the words of truth that we've been singing together. And God, we, uh, we thank you that the blood of Jesus makes us clean. We thank you that the blood of Jesus is a place where we find forgiveness. And we thank you that through the blood of Jesus, we are able to draw near to you, a holy God. And so God, our responses that we offer up, our, our souls, our life are all So if you've worshiped at First Christian Church for a period of time, you're aware that sometimes really odd historical uh, stories make their way into my sermons, uh, usually to serve as eye-openers to the truths of Scripture. Consequently, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for those sorts of stories as they might come up. And if I see something that comes across my computer, I'll print it off and have a box like about this big. It's about that deep, and it's full, just flat sheets, one upon another, and every few weeks I'll rifle through those and throw some out and add some new ones, and then I'll say, oh, that one, I saw that three years ago, but that would really work for that a sermon that's planned in six weeks from now or three months from now or next week. That's when I'm really a panic. What am I doing next week type thing? But nonetheless, uh, I usually pass those stories off to our tech team and our communication people, and they say, okay, we got some photos. We can figure out how to use this story and make it, make, it, make it work really well. And what's fascinating to me is the way in which the photos of years gone by can enlighten the stories that I'm telling in order to enlighten Scripture. The original photographers told, would never have known that their f photos would be used, you know, decades later and to tell some really cool stories. Like, for example, look at this photo. The way in which computers can take Charlie Chaplin, the star of the early silent black and white movies, no audio, you didn't know what, no sound whatsoever. And consequently, because it was in black and white and there's no sound, he always seemed like he was old before his time. But you put some color in Chaplin's cheeks and suddenly he's a young man, right? Well, what about this? 14-year-old young girl by the name of Anne Frank puts some color in her face and it only magnifies the horrors of a very real struggle for life against the death machine of the Holocaust that she lost. Abraham Lincoln. This is what Lincoln historians describe as the best portrait of our Civil War president. They say it's taken about 11 days prior to the Gettysburg Address. And you can see the worry lines of war are etched in his face and even more distinct in color. And by the way, perhaps you don't know this. If you go out to the airport, to the historical grounds out there, and you go through what is known as the Lincoln Log, Log House out there, did you know that's First Christian Church's first building? We let him use it from time to time back in the 1830s. I don't remember that, by the way. I've just been told that. This business of black and white to color, isn't that the story of the Easter resurrection? Something changes and it makes sense. Like, listen to this from Luke chapter 24 on the day of the resurrection. Two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village about seven miles from Jerusalem, and Jesus himself shows up and he starts walking with them. 
They don't recognize him. And he says, hey, by the way, what are you talking about as you're walking along together? They stop dead still, faces down looking at the ground. They're in grief. And you can imagine them, them saying, are you nuts? You're coming from Jerusalem. You don't know what's taking place there? Let's tell you about it. It's about Jesus of Nazareth. That's what we've been talking about. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, they crucified him. And that's bad. But you know what's even just as bad or just, it just adds to injury to the insult? It's three days since all that took place. And some of our women, they went to the tomb early this morning. They wanted to go kind of clean up the tomb and be at the grave. And you know what? They got there. They didn't find his body. And of all the crazy things they've said, we can't believe this. This is, out, this is outside the realm of possibility. They said they'd seen angels who said he was alive. Nuts. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, going back 500, 1,000, 13, 1,500 years prior to his life, he explained what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And they're walking along, they're getting close to the village. They say, hey, it's, it's nighttime, stay with us. Um, you shouldn't go, can you keep talking to us? So at dinner, he did exactly what you just did a few minutes ago, what you remembered what they'd seen a few days early. He gave thanks, he broke bread, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. This is the business right here, going from black and white to color. These two men, quite depressed, it seems, are so focused on grief that they don't recognize Jesus for the long, longest time. They don't even recognize him while he's reviewing all these long-established scriptures explaining how he was the answer, he was the fulfillment of those passages of the Bible. In the weeks throughout Lent, we looked at some of those scriptures. They all culminate in this Luke 24 passage. For example, we, we examined how one prophet had stated that Jesus would be born in the family line of King David. David was born a thousand years before Jesus was. 450 years or so later, a guy comes along by the name of Isaiah, and he says, hey, there's going to be somebody who's going to be born king of the nations, not just king of the Jews, but king of the nations, and he is, he's going to be in David's line. He's going to be a descendant of David, and we saw that 500 years later, Matthew records Jesus' family tree, and guess what? Jesus' family tree goes all the way back to King David. We also saw, predicted, if you will, I don't particularly like that word, but nonetheless, prophesied about how Jesus would die. More than 500 years before he was born, we read scripture describing the manner of his death. We read that surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. He was pierced, the sword that went in him, the nails in him. He was pierced for our transgressions, for the things we did wrong. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. And it's a description of Jesus' crucifixion some 500 years before it took place. In hindsight, as we look in the rearview mirror, we can see how all those prophecies are realities that affirm Jesus' claim to be God's Son, and our Savior. But for the guys walking to the village that day, it must have been stunning. Brand new news. I love what it says in verse 31. It says, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks, 
broke it and began to give it to them. And what happened? Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Can you imagine what's going on in their heads? They go from, we're depressed, we've just seen Jesus die, to, oh, he's alive, oh, so all the years that we spent traveling with him, all the struggles, all the grief we took from people, all the muck of what we went through, some nights we didn't have a place to lay our head, all the sleepless nights and the times we didn't have enough food, and the way in which the mob killed him, and the horrendous things we saw at the crucifixion, now it all makes sense, and you know what? Now we say it is worth it because the resurrection has turned grief to joy. The resurrection has turned questions to answers. The resurrection has turned darkness to light and black and white has turned to color. Struggle has turned to victory. Losing has turned to winning. Ignorance has turned to aptitude. Misery has turned to hope. Disease has turned to health. Despair has turned to optimism. Depression has turned to confidence. Sin, sin has turned to righteousness. And death has been turned to resurrection life. And you know the big story there? Black and white has become color. Hey, kids, when you came in today... You had a bag, right? I got it. Thanks, Brian. Did kids, did you get a plastic bag when you came in to church today? Can you, can you get it out? And inside it, I know, Mike, you want one of these really badly, don't you? Now that all the kids in the room want one of these. You got it? Can you hold it up really high? Right. Do you know what? The, well, here's what we want you to do. We want you to look through it with one eye. Now, I need to tell you something that only you guys know. I can't close just one eye. You want to see me wink? That's me wink. I wink both eyes at the same time. I really do. Because I can't, I could never be a scientist looking in microscopes. Can you look up and see all the cool lights and all the different colors in the kaleidoscope? How cool is that, right? Yeah, well, you can let your mom and dad borrow it because they want to look too. And adults, now that I've got your attention about what you'd like to look at, can I give you something to look for? See, all the talk about darkness to light and black and white to color, it's all there and it's great. But how would you know? How would you know if you're looking through? How do you know what to look for to see if Christ's light has actually come into your life? What's the clue that says Jesus' resurrection power is within you? What do you look for? Well, resurrection life is best discovered in how we live. Scripture puts it this way. We know we have passed from death to life. If you want to know you've gone from black and white to color, if you want to know you've gone from death to life, from guilt to righteousness, this is how you know. We know we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And anyone who doesn't love remains in death. In other words, Jesus' resurrection life in you should do more than simply make you feel good about you. After all, if Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection has any impact upon us, if that death combined with his resurrection power is found within us, shouldn't we follow his example? His death and resurrection was not for himself, but it was for other people. It was for you, it was for me. And I want to just ask you straight up, how's that going for you? Is Christ in you just for you? Or does it have an impact upon other people?
I'll ask it this way. How's the loving going? So you go, you pastor, you shouldn't ask that question in church. Well, apart from the smile, can I say this? The Bible gives us a measuring stick, a calibration tool to assess the state of our loving action. First John says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay, our down, lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There's the measuring stick. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, you've got to say, where's the love of God? How can we say that the power of God is within that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And like you, I want to learn how to do this. I don't want to just have an attitude shift on, you know, come Easter morning. No. I want to have a lifestyle change that impacts me Monday, Tuesday, and in April, and in May, and June, and in 21, and 22, and 23 moving forward. So we're going to help you with that, by the way. Starting next week, we're going to take that passage of Scripture and build from that in a sermon series that's going to look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You're here at the start of it. It's called Because Love. And we'd love to have you come and learn about how to love and let the resurrection power of Christ flow through you. Because I want to know, like you, how do I get from black and white to color on a daily basis? Speaking of which, black and white to color, we've been planning for you to be here for months, for months. Even in COVID, we've been planning for you to be here or to be with us online. And can you take a look at the Easter logo of First Christian Church for 2021? We designed it a long time ago with this very moment in mind. What do you see? You see black and white in each letter becoming color. That's the story of what you get to live this week. The darkness of death and sin is erased through Jesus' victorious resurrection. It's going to be demonstrated in your love for others. And in doing so, here's what's going to happen to you this week. If you're following Christ and His light is shining through you, the darkness of your life, the darkness of my life, the struggles turn to victory through an empty tomb, except it's not just color. That's one thing, but much more so. It's new life. It's resurrection life. stand up with us and let's celebrate that resurrected life we have in Christ. Amen.
Savior's knocking. Oh, let him in. Come on. Oh, let him out. With every yes, his kingdom's coming. The sound of every saint rejoicing. Oh, Jesus Christ, the
sing. Yeah. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the to be together on this Easter weekend and worship together, whether in this room together, in the East Auditorium together, or at home together, we're all together. But as good as it is for us to be inside these walls, whether in your home or here in this building, it's also good as the church to get outside of these walls, to get outside of the walls of our home. And so that's why we as a church, we're committed to take this message that we've been celebrating for the last hour together uh, into our community. And so we're committed to our, our community through our block ministry. And we actually have a spring uh, cleanup day this next Saturday, April the 10th. 
uh, that you're all welcome to be a part of. We're going to be doing some cleanup, planting some flowers. I think we're even planting a basketball hoop, which uh, could be some fun. So uh, we can uh, all get involved in that. And the best way to find out more or to maybe get uh, you know signed up to be a part of that, just go to our website, firsttocater.org, click on the What's Happening button, and you'll see that event, along with a bunch of other stuff that we feel God's called us to do as a church that you can check out. Uh, for those of you who help make all that stuff possible through uh, your generosity, whether in the room, in boxes, or online, we just thank you for partnering with what God's doing through this church in our community and around the world. And if you're a guest today, maybe it's your first time, maybe second, third, or even fourth time, whether online or in the room, we'd love to help you take the next step in what the life that we've been given looks like. And so the best way to kind of get that conversation started, you know, beyond just sitting shoulder to shoulder in a room or sitting on the other side of a screen, is uh, you can actually text the church, 217-875-3350. Just, you can tell us whatever you want, but your name would be helpful start. And then we'll get the conversation going. And if you're here in the building, in the East Auditorium or here in the West Auditorium, there's a welcome center in our lobby. We have a gift for you there and we'll send you something at home as well. So we'd love to get to connect with you here out in the lobby. Uh, but for all of us, may we, as we step forward, as Pastor Wayne alluded to, this idea that this whole weekend is because love. It's because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we could be given the gift of a new life. And so it's because love that that has implications for the way in which we get to live our lives, like not just on a Sunday for an hour, on an Easter Sunday once a year, like on a Tuesday. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at over the next several weeks in our service. So it's kind of a, maybe a foundations or like to the basics of what the Christian faith is all about, which, you know, spoiler alert, it's because love. And so that's what we're gonna look at. We invite you to join us next weekend and for the weekends ahead. Uh, our regular service times, same time right here. Saturday is also at five, 9 a.m. on Sundays, 11 a.m. We'll look forward to seeing you in the weekends ahead. But for us all, trust you have a great Easter Sunday. Thanks.